Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for another one of our bonus uh, franchise focus episodes. This time we're focusing on the Orlando Magic, uh, one of the younger teams in the current NBA. Uh, They were established, of course, in the late 80s, 1989. Um, With our franchise focus, if you're new to this, basically we do this in three parts. Firstly, we focus on the current team, uh, their uh, roster makeup as it stands, their outlook, kind of you know, the way the team is going. We then focus on a historic team from that franchise's history that's notable or uh, interesting in some way or another. And then finally, we talk about a key player and or legend from that franchise uh, history. Sometimes it's one of the greatest players of all time. Sometimes it's a player who, you know, was just a nice, solid player for that organization and important in uh, in some way. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, again, today we're talking about the Orlando Magic. And uh, as far as the current team, it's the, I don't know if prototypical is quite right, but it's a rebuilding team, you know, and we've known this for a couple of years now. Uh, of course, they did make the playoffs as recently as 2020 in the uh, in the Orlando bubble, in which they lost in the first round to the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, after that, they've... Uh, you know, fallen on tough times, I suppose, is a little bit of a melodramatic way of saying it, but they've uh, not been as competitive as certainly you would hope to be. Uh, in 2021, they had 21 wins against 51 losses. The next year, they had a, a worse winning percentage, 22 wins and 60 losses. Currently this season, they're doing much better, better than they did last year. Um, and that's due to the... Uh, young talent they've been able to acquire over the past couple of seasons uh, with those struggling uh, records that they've had and uh, consequent uh, good odds in the draft lottery. Um, So let's just talk about the current team, get right to it. Um, Paolo Bancaro, of course, the rookie front runner for rookie of the year at this point in the season, currently averaging 20 points, six and a half rebounds and three and a half assists his percentages have dropped. They're not as high as they were in the beginning of the season, shooting about 42% from the floor, 28% from three, and 75% from the free throw line. Overall, very solid start, good rookie campaign. Um, he is all, he's a rookie, I want to say. Uh, yeah, he's all of 20 years old. He's a 6'10", 250 power forward. Um, you know, just taking him – as a pure raw prospect outside of what he's already been able to do in the NBA, he's got certainly the size and the skill set, the physicality, the, you know, big body to be a productive forward and uh, star player in the NBA. And he's off to a great start. You know, we've seen it already uh, more than halfway through the season. He's had some stellar games and he's helping the magic be a little bit more competitive than you might expect. Alongside him is Franz Wagner, the uh, kind of two shooting guard, small forward tweener. He can play either of those two spots. Uh, he's got good height. He can actually play power forward if you really need him to. 6'9", 225, mainly playing the small forward, though. Uh, he's played pretty much all their games this season. He's averaging 19 points, four rebounds, three and a half assists on some pretty good percentages. Those two make a pretty promising core especially at your forward spots. So then what does the team look like around those two? Well, firstly, I have Wendell Carter Jr., uh, who's missed a handful of games this season with injury, but he's still young himself, only 23 years old. 
He was drafted by the Bulls, recently traded to the Magic, and he's been productive. He's averaging 15.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists. The defensive stats aren't really there, but he's a a dynamic offensive player, averaging 37% from three at that center spot. So he's been a very productive player, uh, an above-average player, certainly, at least for the Orlando Magic. Next, you have Markel Fultz, the former number one overall pick, starting a point guard, getting a chance to show his dynamic game, even though his shooting struggles still continue. He's averaging 13 points, five and a half assists, four rebounds, 1.5 steals. Uh, Again, above average point guard, at least Markel Fultz playing very well. Uh, And then starting alongside Wagner, Bancaro, Carter and Fultz. That's where there's not really a clear-cut fifth guy at that starting spot. In most of the games he's played, Gary Harris has started, averaging nearly nine points and two rebounds. Really good percentages. Um, Bull Bull has also started more games than he hasn't this season, averaging 10 points and six rebounds, having a really breakout type of season showing what he's capable of in the NBA. Jalen Suggs. Uh, maybe has taken a step step back from his previous season. And th- this is actually after he had a really hot start to this current season. Uh, but he's still semi-productive, nine points, three assists, three boards. Um, <clears throat> decent percentages, not quite what you'd hope from the number four overall pick uh, in uh, not this last draft, but the year before. And then Maurice Wagner, the brother of Franz Wagner, the older brother, has been productive off the bench mainly as well. 11 points, five boards, one and a half assists. Um, other talent, you have Chuma Okeke, uh, who's been limited. He hasn't played too much this season with an injury. Um, five points, four boards, kind of a three, four tweener. Uh, Cole Anthony, the backup point guard, has shown a lot of uh, excitement and potential for his play. 12 points, five rebounds, four assists. Uh, and then you have, you know, a few guys kind of in that deep bench, Caleb Houston, RJ Hampton. You also have Jonathan Isaac, who's played 10 games and 10 minutes per game, the lowest minutes per game of any player on this roster. But at one point he had the most potential, you know, you look back in that, that last playoff roster, he was uh, maybe the best player on that team. His, his defensive impact along with his versatile game was impressive and stellar. And then unfortunately he missed the last two full seasons with an ACL injury, just barely made his return to the roster and it's great to see him back, but the magic are certainly going to be very cautious about working him back into the lineup. So he's played very limited minutes. So, uh, but he's still included as part as, uh, as part of the magic main core, the team looking forward, it's, just kind of still in that standard rebuild mode as far as Bancaro will continue to develop. So will Franz Wagner. Um, the team will still be most likely a lottery team with their current record. So they'll get a, a top 15 pick type of player. Um, I imagine their draft position as far as draft picks they still own is still very solid. But as I mentioned a little bit, and I've talked on and off about the, about this on the podcast, this magic team has been better than you would expect. And they've upset some great teams in the NBA. They've beat the Celtics all three times they've played them, arguably the greatest team in the NBA at the moment, uh, the greatest winning percentage as I'm speaking, and the most wins overall. They've beaten that team three times, uh, which is pretty stellar. They beat the uh, 
who did they beat recently? They played they played a close game with Miami pretty pretty um excuse me relatively recently, but they've they've beat some other good teams. Looking at their record, they are not too far behind Indiana and could potentially catch Indiana in the near future. You know they've been much better than you would expect uh, above teams like the Pistons and the Hornets and the Rockets and the Spurs who are all kind of in that same rebuilding gear. Uh, so props to them for being competitive. And again, I think a lot of it goes to Paolo Bencaro uh, and what he's been able to bring as a rookie. Him and Franz Wagner have been a, a nice tandem and compared to some of those other teams that are in that bottom group as far as you know worst records in the NBA at this moment. They don't have a tandem quite like Ben Carroll and Wagner, so that's you know props to them. Again, we'll see them. It's something that we'll continue to see over time how that core develops. Uh, at some point, they'll probably shift to, you know, their the idea is now those guys in the future become all stars, or that's the hope. Then they shift into trades and free agency to further build and solidify the roster, things like that. Um, but, but Wendell Carter Jr., I like him as that starting center. I think that's an underrated, you know, continually developing piece. He's still very young. Um, he is, yeah, 23 years old. And him alongside Wagner and Bancaro, you know, 23 and younger, that's still developing <clears throat> that whole front court group. I really like that. Long term, this does not hate on Marco Fultz by any means. I like to see him playing and still productive in the NBA, uh, you know, despite those early struggles. I don't picture him being part of that core going forward. He just doesn't quite fit that, you know, star type power. And I, I don't know. I, I could be wrong. He could be a part of that team, but. I imagine they'll probably look for some different guard help. Jalen Suggs hasn't seemed to be the answer there either. So they'll either maybe look to draft or to trade or sign some sort of guard to maybe kind of bolster this team. That's probably the you know questions going forward. What do they do to get the guard help? And uh, how does that front court develop? Along with the head coach, you know, Jamal Mosley, again, the team's overachieving this season compared to what you might expect. So, He's in a good position as a coach. He's only in his second or third full season, so not too much you can really complain about there, but he's still a little bit, you know, let's see how this plays out over the next few seasons. Excuse me. And, um, yeah, that's it. Continues to build. You know, you're the Magic. You've had competitive teams in the past. You're wanting to get back to being competitive, but you've got got young talent that's exciting to, to root for, and, you you know, there's a lot of potential for this team, so I feel like you're in a good spot as a Magic fan. Um, the only caveat I will add is they need to change the uniforms. Um, and this is really, it's not related to winning and losing really. I mean, if we're going to be logical about it, but in my mind, I feel like having a good uniform set helps. And I could talk for days about uniforms, but um, you know, the magic set was, was pretty solid when it first debuted, but it's pretty dated. They haven't updated it a bunch. The statement uniform has gotten some nice, upgrades their blue alternate but um you know i say you can make the pinstripes work you can i you need to add the star flourishes if you want to talk about best uniforms in their history i would say go to the early 2000s and the t-mac years that would be your best uniform 
And speaking of those teams, let's actually use that as our segue. We're talking about the 2000 to 2001 Orlando Magic for our historic Magic squad. You know, it's easy to talk either the 95 Magic or the 2009 Magic. Those are those two finals teams in their history. People have talked plenty about those. Um, referring again to Secret Base and their Collapse series, they have two you know two separate episodes talking about those two Magic Finals teams. Uh, so I definitely recommend, recommend checking that out if you want to learn a little bit about the aftermath of those squads. But there's plenty you can also see online about these Finals teams or those Finals teams. Also the 30 for 30 documentary, This Magic Moment, breaks down the building and aftermath excuse me, of that original finals team with Shaq and Penny in 95. Those teams get a lot of coverage. I want to focus on a playoff team with one of my favorite players of all time that was, you know, just kind of okay, lost in the first round. Why highlight this? Um, Valid question. Like I said, you know, I I want to talk about one of my favorite players, uh, but also – you know, just kind of see, it's also a, a bit more of that experience or that exercise in what if and what this team kind of could have done with some some better fortune. We'll get into that in just a moment. But yeah, 2001 Orlando Magic, their record was 43 and 39. Uh, their coach was Doc Rivers. The second year of his head coaching experience, the prior year, he won coach of the year, I believe, after he uh, helped sustain a very impressive and very surprising Orlando Magic 500 season uh, with not much talent to work with. Uh, they made the playoffs, like I said, lost in the first round to the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, one game to three back in the days of the five uh, best, or, or excuse me, five game first round series. Um, that has since been expanded to seven games, of course. Looking at the roster, the player I want to talk about, Tracy McGrady, it was his first year in Orlando. Uh, first year as an all-star and, a you know, one of the league's top scorers. He was averaging 27 points per game, seven and a half rebounds, four and a half assists, one and a half steals, and one and a half blocks. And great percentages, especially for his era. It's hard to overstate how incredible Tracy McGrady was, especially those first couple of seasons in Orlando and what he was able to do there. Um, easily one of the best players in the NBA, one of the top five players in the NBA, during that time, he was supported by Daryl Armstrong at the point guard, a veteran point guard, a former most improved player winner a couple seasons back from this point. He was also the sixth man of the year that season. Starting this season, he was solid, 16 points per game, seven assists, two steals. Nice, uh, you know, complimentary piece in that backcourt, you know, adding touch more of the, the on-ball defense, but McGrady still was a good defender in his own right. You add uh, Bo Outlaw at that power forward, a unique piece. He was uh, tall, long, but fairly mobile. Not really a, a, a huge offensive threat, but a good rebounder, seven and a half, nearly eight rebounds a game, 1.7 blocks, 1.3 steals. Nice complimentary piece there. Uh, the center... I'll be honest, a little bit of a weak spot. Andrew DeClerc, he was an okay-ish enough professional as mainly a backup center. He was, you know, fine. But as a starting center, you know, he got the job done. He had some size to him, 6'10", 230, but he wasn't going to be, you know, nearly competitive enough with some of the, you know, other starting centers in the NBA. But 
that's who they had. Not to hate on DeClerc. He was a fine enough pro. Um, small forward as well, where it gets interesting. And this is where we get into our what-if category. Grant Hill started four games for them this season, the only four games he played, and was very productive, about 14 points, six boards, six assists. He was coming off of multiple all-star seasons with the Detroit Pistons. He played in most every game that he could for those six seasons in Detroit, five of which he was an all-star, averaged, you know, easily 21-plus points per game across those seasons, multiple rebounds, multiple assists, huge dynamic threat. Him, along with Tracy McGrady, were the two biggest offseason acquisitions as free agents. Grant Hill plays a few games, gets injured, and misses the rest of the season, including the playoffs. As far as that immediate season, they save it with Mike Miller, the rookie coming off the bench, who now slid into that starting role, and he was named uh, Rookie of the Year for his efforts. He averaged 12 points per game, four rebounds, uh, nearly two assists, on great shooting. He averaged uh, 41% from three, or just nearly 41% from three that season on four and a half attempts per game. So Mike Miller filled in, became a very good starting small forward in his own right. Um, Off the bench, they had D. Brown, uh, who missed much of the regular season with injury in his own right, or he might have actually been a signing. Let me double check that. Um, No, it looks like it was probably injury, um, but then he did play in the playoffs and was a a contributor in the playoffs. John Amici, who was a, kind of a journeyman and played a lot overseas uh, became another guy to fill that front court struggle. He was 6'10 to 70, you know, big body inside uh, Pat Garrity, a longtime magic player. This was in the early, you know, when he first joined the magic. Um, they also had Michael Doliak, who was a recent final four participant with the uh, Utah Utes. So I'm familiar with him just a touch. Uh, Monty Williams coming off the bench as well. Uh, you know, future coach, we recognize him now for that, but he was a decent bench player in his in his playing days. Troy Hudson off the bench as well. Um, nice little point guard as well. So their bench was okay, you know. A lot of these guys elevated to try and they had to play a bit over their, you know, normal expectation because of injury. And again, if he, the whole time Grant Hill was in Orlando, he was battling injury issues. Uh, the closest he came to playing a full season in Orlando uh, was in 2005, where he played 67 games, and he was an all-star that season. He averaged just about 20 points, nearly five rebounds, three assists, on pretty good percentages. But if he could have been even just a notch down from what he was in Detroit, and he was combined with Tracy McGrady in a decent enough supporting cast – if they had that to consistently expect and build around, they add a decent center. No offense again, Doliak or DeClerc. They add a, you know an upgrade at center. What could this Magic team have done, especially in that early two thousands Eastern Conference where it was a little bit more open? Of course, you don't have Chicago. They've been out of the picture for a couple of years. You have. The Nets, who are still kind of emerging, you have the Sixers with Iverson, but they're, for better or worse, kind of a one-man show. You have Indiana, who's very good, but they've 
they were volatile at times to having an off season. You have Detroit, who's still working. They're they're building it still, but they're not quite there. What could the Magic have done with Grant Hill at full health? And this is that subject in itself is probably a topic that gets done to death outside of just this Magic squad in particular. But just wanted to highlight that as far as you know kind of the missed opportunity with Orlando. And even further, they had the chance to add Tim Duncan. They courted Tim Duncan in free agency, something I just recently learned about. Of course, they didn't get him. And um, probably a little bit more uh, better for that NBA history sense as far as what the Spurs were able to do with him. Uh, A nice little, oh, players drafted for their team, staying with their team for their whole career, you know, fits that bill. But... Yeah, certainly something worth considering. Uh, again, they lose that playoff series versus the Bucks, who would go on, of course, to uh, challenge the Sixers in a seven-game series, a controversial series, but a seven-game series uh, for the Eastern Conference crown. But, um, yeah, just worth pondering what the Magic could have been. Um, around that same time, one of the Magic's uh, all-time great players was wrapping up his career or had just finished his career. And that was uh, Dennis Scott. He's our franchise legend slash notable player to talk about. Um, I picked him because he kind of fits the mold of what we've talked about with Eric Piatkowski and uh, Mitch Richmond to an extent. Players that were ahead of their time. Um, Dennis Scott, 3D as he was called, uh, played both small forward and shooting guard, mainly a small forward. Uh, 6'8", 230. Sizable guy. He maybe even could have played power forward if they really needed him to although that really wasn't his game. Um, Across his uh, seven full seasons in Orlando from 1990 to 1997, he averaged 15 points per game, three rebounds, two assists, and a steal, shooting 42% from the floor and 40% from three-point range. Um, And that's really the the legacy of his career. Uh, Across those seven seasons, he averaged – three or excuse me, five and a half, three pointers attempt per game shooting 40% across those, those seasons. And um, I mean, again, like Mitch Richmond, one of the great shooters of his era, and he'd probably still be top 25 greatest shooters all time. You'd have to say, I mean, like, unlike Mitch Richmond, not a, as high a volume of shooter or easily not as high a, a scorer, excuse me, not scoring quite as many points per game, but still, um, you know, tremendous shooter. And that's really the big legacy. He set the NBA record for most three-pointers made in a season. That was 1996, and he made 267. And that was a record that was stand for about 10 years until Ray Allen broke that in uh, 2006. But he, he, you know, the three-point line came into the NBA in – 1979 and you know it took a while for guys to get into the groove of things and there were players that would kind of elevate it take it to that next level dennis scott from you know the previous record holder which i believe was danny ainge at the time took it to a whole nother level and set it there for 10 years you know and he gets kind of underappreciated he was the you know the third or fourth man on that orlando final squad I mean, that 95 season in the regular season, he averaged like 13 points a game. And Penny Hardaway, Shaq, even Nick Anderson, they're all scoring more than him. So he's like the fourth guy. So we we lose what what 
you know, how fantastic of a shooter and a scorer he was. It'd be interesting to see if he was on his, you know, if he was the star of a team in this era that didn't have a lot of offensive firepower, maybe what he could have done if he could have been an all-star or if he could have, you know, set the three point makes in a regular season, even higher, maybe he could have made 300. Uh, We're getting back into that. What if conversation, but just wanted to recognize how great of a shooter he was um, and what he contributed to the game. He also had the regular season record for most three-pointers in a single game with 11, which also stood for a long time. I think it was a tie uh, at that point. Uh, would later be broken by Kobe Bryant, then Steph Curry, then Clay Thompson. So, um, again, ahead of his time, set the standard for three-point excellence for a long time, from the mid-'90s to the mid-2000s. So, Definitely want to recognize him and his uh, contribution to the game, uh, especially in today's game where the three-pointer is so important. Um, with that, that takes care of our franchise focus for the Orlando Magic. I want to thank you again for listening. Um, next episode you listen to will either be the uh, you know normal weekday-type programming or it might be another uh, bonus episode of another, another franchise focus. So uh, regardless, thank you again for listening, and we'll be back with you soon.